Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy Game 7. Well, second Game 7. We're going to talk about the Game 7 from last night in a, in a bit. But Game 7, Colorado-San Jose, the completion of the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs will be tonight. Uh, but let's start with some pre-show stuff. Go ahead, Russ. All right. So uh, for those who may know the odd couple, there was an episode where Felix took a class to learn how to be a professional writer. And of course he lived with a professional writer and Oscar and, you know, it became a kind of a funny episode and kind of like a phony sort of class. Well, in that vein, Phil Collins is now having an online te- I'll teach you how to be a songwriter masterclass and so here's here's what i what i gauge might happen from that so i can first see somebody asking a question um professor phil uh what was the thinking behind illegal alien (laughs) and and you know and phil would probably be like hey you know uh i was drinking a lot of tequila one night (laughs) bottles of vodka uh rather not talk about it thanks and then you know and then maybe we could ask Phil, like, why in the 09 tour when he sang Invisible Touch Live, and I think he did this everywhere, but he definitely did it in Philly, that for part of the lyrics where it says, you know, she will mess up your life, he made it a point to scream, she will fuck up your life. And so I would like to ask Phil now, what was the inspiration for that? And he'd probably be like, could be three divorces, you know. Divorce one, divorce two, or divorce three, (laughs) you know. And and just I can't imagine what he is going to give up to to basically help people write songs. Well, okay. First of all, this is not exclusive to Phil because if you watch YouTube and you see these, you know, you, on YouTube they have the commercials that you can't avoid, or at least for the first fifteen seconds. Right. And, and if I had a dollar for every time this master class thing comes up with. You know Marty Scorsese or Ron Howard or somebody, you know, like some filmmaker or some musician or somebody. You know, they're all doing it. But that being said, and the thing I when when you mentioned this that I immediately hearkened back to is, and I'm not a particular, I don't dislike her or like her or anything, but Adele when she had her big album, mm-hmm. I think what 21, she was apparently I don't know if she was struggling. To find songs to uh, for the new her new album, but she enlisted Phil Collins. Phil Collins, she like contacted him or contacted his representatives or something, and like basically was looking for him to write songs for her. Right, and it never came to fruition. Now the thing is, it's like I think he wrote songs, and she, the, the the gist I got from him is that she didn't like them. Yeah, so, and, and, you know. I mean, his, you got to, you know, like, and I, I'm a big Phil Collins fan. He's a great, phenomenal drummer, great, great songwriter. His solo stuff was all gleaned from his personal turmoil, from his divorces. I mean, right. face value and hello. That's what I'm saying. How is he going to teach that to people? By the way. Um, Channel your misery. That's how it is. I think, I think one of the songs Phil was attempting to write for Adele was, I like In-N-Out Burger, and she didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's bad come on that's why it didn't fly <laughs> so one of the one of the things that um is Hello, not, not well known is that phil collins a lady from vancouver yes i was one of his wives there's a there's a, there's a, there's a, genesis, there's a genesis song called vancouver yep yeah and there's uh two kids he had two kids simon and jolie and my best friend used to work with jolie at earl's in uh, Vancouver, and she had a horse down in the stables called Susudio. <laughs> Are you kidding? Now we're going to get to Phil Collins's horse, his friends. <laughs> My best friend worked with Phil Collins's daughter, and you know how radio stations used to do those things, where they're like, "Hey, this is Phil Collins." Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I'm here, yeah. you know, and he and he says, "Hi, Simon." At the end, he goes, "Hi, Simon. Hi, Joel. You used to hear on C Fox all the time." 
Right. Yeah, and, and and Simon is a musician as well, and his yeah. daughter, his daughter from his second marriage, uh, uh, Lily, is a, is actually a very successful actress in Hollywood. She's been in a few movies. Um, but you know, it's I mean, and now his how he's going to teach somebody online about how to do this when we all know how hard it is. Period, and it's just like. Come on, Phil. Like I, I get you want another paycheck. Is this really yeah. the way? And, that, and see, that's the that's the thing. This is Russ. This is a sign of how and and you know he he's gotten married to his third wife over again. So he's eliminated the the support payments. Well, that's a smart tax move. That's a, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm sure he's still paying. I'm sure he's probably still paying child support for for wife number two or wife number one. Uh, maybe. He didn't realize when when they had the album selling England by the pound, it would be selling off his estate. He didn't realize that. But but this is the but this is the, and and you know he can't sing anymore, or at least not the way he used not to. Not the way he used to. He could still sing. Right. He can't he can't play drums at all because of his no. neck and arm problems. But he's still touring because he's got to support his life. He's got to support his lifestyle that he's gotten used to. And I, I don't begrudge him that. No, I don't either. Yeah, just I just don't ask me to pay for it. Yeah, I'm not paying like five thousand dollars for a class so I could have a fleeting conversation with Phil Collins and then have him say, "All right, let me let me hear how that song is," and then he could tell me it's crap. Well, I mean, come on, the the insightful lyrics of "There's a girl that's been on my mind all the time," Sue Sue Studio. Yeah, well, I know. Hello, Hockey World. <laughs> Today is Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. I'm Peter Tessier in balmy Winnipeg. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Rutherford. Oh, no, excuse me. I'm Michael Lajello, yeah. and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Okay, let's start with the game last night. Um, a rather one-sided affair that I have to say that you know, I, I I agree with some of the opinions that if, if Dallas had won, it may have been a little bit of an injustice because it was so one-sided in favor of the Blues. But I, I have to tip my hat to Ben Bishop, who had a phenomenal game for, for the Stars. It was a 2-1 Oh, a double overtime victory for St. Louis in game seven. They move on to play the winner of San Jose, Colorado tonight. Um, Russ, I mean, you've been – sort of backing the blues ever since the Bennington call up in January. And just to look at that team and look at where they were and where they are now and look at how some of their players are playing. It's, I mean, it's a tale of two seasons. Yeah. I mean, Bennington's the reason, I mean, everybody else was still good. I, I always felt like all those other conversations we were having were just like, because of the way the team was not because of the way the players, except for Bo Meester. We all thought Bo Meester had really taken a bad turn. Right. And then we realized he was still rehabbing an injury. So it's like, all right. So so we were wrong about Bowmeister. But but everything else has turned out great. And but I still will get the occasional text. Well, when Bennington comes down to earth, he's not coming down to earth, folks. This is the guy. This was a game seven. This is his first game seven. He passed it with flying colors. If you want to say Bishop had a better game because he faced more shots, okay. I'm I will let people in on this. I don't care about the shot totals. I don't care. Most of the time in hockey, when a team's leading the first period and they have 20 shots and the other team's got five, a lot of times they're losing that game mm -hmm. because of quality of shots and where they're taking them and all that other stuff, right? So, but I feel like they, you know, there were a lot of good point blank scoring chances that Bishop had to stop. But same with, you know, same with Bennington. He had, there was one where, I forget who was trying the wraparound. And, Cogliano. Yes, Cogliano, who literally could work on his backhand in his driveway because he could have ended the game had any kind of hand-eye coordination like he used to. It was just – I felt bad for him. But Bennington made him rush that shot, and when he rushed the shot, Bennington was able to get, like, his toe on it at the last second and screw that play up. There was one that was going absolutely into the net, and at the last second, Bennington knocked it away with his blocker. Last second, like it was just like there were some plays like that where you looked at it and you said, "Wow, you know what? We were watching a goaltending clinic on both sides." Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Peter, 
I mean, Bennington in the Winnipeg series, I think, was tested a lot more than he was, especially in Game Seven. I think I'm looking up the shots, but I thought it was something like 52 to 17 or something like that. And I, I acknowledge what Russ is saying about shots on goal not being an accurate indicator, but I thought Bishop at times was standing on his head in that game. Standing, he, yeah. he was using the force. And looking like Neo from the Matrix all at the same time. I mean, let's let's. It was unbelievable. I, I mean, like, what more does does one player have to do to 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 help his team win? Uh, did he have to go down the ice and do a slap shot from the point too? Like, it, it was unbelievable what he did. Um, and I'm simply, not put, simply put, you know what? If 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 I'm if I'm the NHL. I just saw St. Louis go seven games and basically look like they had five more OT periods to go before they got tired. Yeah. I would have had them all lined up and pee in a cup because something, whatever Baruby's doing is it's, it's unbelievable. 54 to 30 shots on goal for the game. That's well, I think, look, I mean, they have some veterans, but they're not that old of a team. Guys like Robert Thomas gave him a big spark, and he played a lot of minutes late. Yeah. He had a couple of points. Like, that's somebody – he went 20th overall in the draft. I had him actually ranked 26th. I think we all got it wrong. I think the Blues were lucky to get him there. I think uh, even a team like the Leafs, who I know were interested in him, could have drafted him instead of Liljegren. Well, I mean, I, it, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was told that uh, – I, I guess it was a Steve Simmons column that said that uh, – or, or an article that said that the Leafs were looking at Thomas instead of Lilligren. Thomas was 20th overall, Lilligren was 17th. And honestly, Rust, that is post-draft spin. That is, honestly, you know, Lilligren has not been a big success uh, yet. I mean, I think he's been okay, but, uh, you know, and, and he may make the Leafs next year as a bottom-pairing guy. But that's sort of like, oh, let me let me uh, let me bolster my reputation as a talent evaluator. I was going to take Robert Thomas instead of Lilligren. So that right. just, I mean, don't come on. I mean, all right, no, that's fine. I mean, that's that's fair. But I think that was a part of it. I also feel like somebody had said it on um, online, and I don't know who it was, mm -hmm. but they were talking about the way St. Louis plays and how they tie everybody up. Well, I mean, if you look at the St. Louis defenseman, with the exception of Vince Dunn, not only are they all fast, but they all have a long reach. Yeah, and, they do, and they do get to a lot of pucks first, and they do tie you up with, with their long reach. And that is something by design. Like, Edmondson kills you that way. We never talk about him, right? Yeah. No, I um, I mean, Edmondson, Gunnarsson to an extent. I mean, he's a veteran yeah. guy, but he's you know, – he's, He's been tested in the in the playoff wars, so the, having him as a five six is not is not a bad thing. But you know, Pareko was great. was great, but he almost killed them on that one play in, in overtime where he hit it up yeah. the side of his own net. But Bo Meester, they re, they re-upped him for a year, and Petrangelo um, is one of the best in the league. Now, just switching to Dallas here because obviously you know that they lost, so we won't, won't be talking about them until we get closer to the draft. I have to tip my hat to. Uh, Jim Nell and, and Jim Montgomery for getting that team is further than I thought that they would get. The, the trade for Zuccarello, like the Nyquist trade with San Jose, Peter, was sort of an under-the-radar move. I mean, you know, not saying Zuccarello yeah. was under the radar, but, you, you know, they didn't give up an absolute big ton for him. And he was an impact player. Now it was mitigated by the fact that he got hurt in his first game and missed a month. But he came he came to play in the postseason when they really needed it. And now there's indications that he might resign there. And if that happens, then the Rangers do get their third first round pick. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, one thing I think we've heard about Dallas as a, as a, as a place, you know, while the team hasn't had the on ice success of recent years, um, players enjoy playing there. They enjoy the, the vibe of the city and stuff. They, yeah. you know, you guys are there last year for the draft. It's, it's, yeah. you know, when the fans turn out there, it's, it's a sports town, but they appreciate winning. <laughs> Expectations are high in Dallas. And that's something that, you know, could play for the, in the favor of Zuccarello. He wants to be there, likes what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that's good news for the Rangers as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and, go ahead. 
It is. I, I think Zuccarello's agent's going to tell him to test the market first, though, because he did himself proud. He Think about yeah. what this guy has overcome in the last few years. A couple of years ago when he got hit in the head, he had to relearn how to speak again. It yeah. got that bad, and everybody's like, wow, what's going to happen to his career? He comes back, and he almost like came back and almost didn't miss a beat. He breaks an arm, and this is a little guy. So for all the people that want to, you know, bash the little players in this league, mm -hmm. he breaks his arm. He comes back, like you said, a month later, and he's making great plays. And he says he's not a hundred percent, which I guarantee he can't be. Right. And he's making great plays. So teams are going to want Matt Zuccarello. I mean, it'll be interesting. He could be a pretty sought after one of those middle three agents where yeah. after the top guys go, teams start to look to him. Yeah, and I have to say the other thing about Dallas that I think a lot of people were missing is the importance of their development, the development of their young players through their American Hockey League team. Uh, you know, guys like uh, like not Heiskanen because he came directly from from Finland, but uh, at Lindell spent a, a, a good amount of time in the American Hockey League, and now he's one of their top two or three defensemen. And even directly from the Texas Stars team that played in the Calder Cup final last year, Dickinson and more, most importantly, Hints, who yeah, is, both were really good. Yeah, they both they both played really well in the playoffs. Hints had an injury in Game Six and came back and didn't seem like he was really phased by it in Game Seven. So, I mean. They, you know, they're going to lose a big contract in Spezza, uh, seven and a half million bucks. Now I know that you know they 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 re-upped Sagan, so that sort of counterbalances that uh, cap savings. But if they add a player or two, this is a team that could get right back to where they were this year, uh, next I year. I don't and Ben yeah, like don't be surprised if all of a sudden Dallas is in there looking at at other UFAs. And and oh, taking will. a chance, like you know, Tom Galliardi, he's a competitive guy, and if he feels his team's on the upswing, I don't see why he doesn't give the um the green light to do some things. Oh, I agree. Um, one thing to to note during the playoffs, Nishushkin only played one game, right? He never had a goal the whole year. Uh, they're probably done with him. I'm looking at his contract now, actually. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got, got another year. Though. He's got another yeah. year, Russ. He's got another year. He's not going to be at the NHL level, though. They're going to bury him in the AHL. Or, or they, or they, they maybe they find some team that thinks that they can, yeah. you know, trade trade him to Washington and have him play with a Vetchkin. You know, what I'm saying something like something like that. Two point nine, he's just stealing money. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it, it. I mean, it, the funny thing was, we expected him to come back from the KHL and be an impact guy. Yeah, he's never been the same guy since that injury at no. his sophomore year, and and he didn't really put up big numbers in the KHL when he left. So maybe yeah. you know, maybe they were right about him when they left. And, you know, maybe Hitchcock was right, but I don't. I still there's so much talent there. I don't want to admit that. So maybe maybe he gets a second chance somewhere. Oh, maybe maybe. Other other than that, maybe he goes back to the K. Yeah. Um, okay, um, we'll talk about game seven. Um, we'll talk about game seven to, uh, late, a little later on in the show. Want to talk about because we 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 really didn't touch too much on Columbus after the loss to the to the Bruins, uh, and we I think it deserved more of a, an extensive look. And you know, my my point of view, I, I know it's a minority opinion, but I, I really don't care. Um, the the Blue Jackets. Rolled the dice. They went all in, and everybody applauded them for it after they swept Tampa. I get it. Um, my point of view is: if you're a team that is borderline to make the playoffs and you barely scratch in, you have absolutely no business going all in. You, you it, it's, it's, it's actually, I think, counterproductive and stupid. Now, in their, in their instance, and Russ has pointed this out, they have a lot of good young players coming. So I, I get that. So they can afford to trade their first-round pick and their second-round pick and their third-round pick. I, I get that. But if you're a team like Tampa, if you're a team like Calgary who finished first in the West, I say, okay, you want to go all in, you want to add players that think you make your team more complete, fine. If you're borderline to make the playoffs and they were by the by the luck by by happenstance they got in by a point or two. They it could have very easily been Montreal instead of them that made that made the playoffs. You maybe you can justify it by the fact that you beat you caught Tampa and you beat them. I consider what they did a failure 
because they lost in the second round. If they got to the Stanley Cup final, I can say, okay, they paid the price. They got there. Fine. They didn't get there. They sold out. Panarin is gone, is as good as gone. We know that. Bobrovsky is as good as gone. We know that. We don't know 100% about Duchesne and Dingle, but if I had to bet money on it, I would think they are gone too. So where is the bet? Other than proving to your fan base that you could win a round in the playoff, which it took, what, 20 years for them to find that out? What was the benefit of this? Playoff revenue, baby. To what? Four games? It's a lot. It's a million dollars a game, Mike. Yeah, it's a million bucks a game, if not more, probably more. more. Yeah. Um, Mike, I, I, I understand if, if you measure it, if you measure the return only by the rounds of playoffs you make, then, then yes, it's, it's a failure. But if you, if you look at things risk a little differently, look at it this way for certain, they've got four key UFAs who might not be back, but we haven't had a UFA crop like this in a long time right they have just as much ability and cap space to replace those guys and shake the team up they have some depth in their prospects they gave up a lot absolutely they tried to do something and had they you know in 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 our logic it seems silly because yes you're inevitably going to end up against tampa bay no one had them beating tampa bay Right. They pulled off something. Right. That alone, an intangible benefit to the fans is worth a bazillion. The, the the fact is, is that if there was a year to go all in, knowing you may not keep any of the four, there's enough people out there you can replace if you're aggressive enough and can. That's the difference. Right. That is the one difference in the UFA market this year that we haven't seen in a while. This is a good UFA market relative to what we've had in the past. But you will grant, Peter, that that would have been the case had they not gone after Duchesne and Dezingle. They were going to lose. If they, they did nothing team. and missed the playoffs, right. they still had the same problem with Panarin and and, right. and they kept a draft pick. And with a top 10 with a top ten pick in the first round, maybe. Maybe, or maybe not. Just so people know, at 19 years old, drafted like 117th overall, Emil Benstrom's got 23 goals, in 47 games in the SHL, 10 points in 19 games. He'll be on the roster next year. Yeah, so, and, and and I and I'll just to interject. I saw uh, Columbus's uh, AHL team play a couple games in the playoffs against the Marlies, and I think Sonny Milano could probably step into the NHL next year. He's had a couple couple opportunities, but I think the way he played. Uh, he'll get more of a chance. And we saw Texier in the playoffs. So I mean, yeah. there are some young guys coming. I get that. And I think Duchesne's going to stay. Duchesne really likes it there. So I think Duchesne will stay. Maybe Dezingle stays because he's a local guy. They're going to lose Panarin. They're going to lose Bob. I mean, it's tough. It's not great. But they not only made like $4 million bucks or more, but they kept the fan base interested for next year now because now they at least got past where they needed to. They got over the hump. That was a big deal. If they didn't do these moves, Mike, and they could have all these chips in the corner like you wanted them to and all these assets, they'd be losing their fans this year. And so, and going into next year, season tickets would be that much harder. So that's, that was the complicated part about this. That's a hell of a price to pay to prove well, you can win one round. Really? Really about it. The Atlanta yeah. Thrashers never won a round. They yeah. went belly up. Okay, I mean, I mean, we'll agree. We'll agree to disagree because I'm John Waddell's Atlanta Freshers. In case anybody's wondering, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, what was it? Alexi's Nick for Braden Colburn, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 That was that was a great deal. Um, okay. The uh, the other team that we didn't get a chance to really hit on when it came to uh, their you know the end of the playoffs was the New York Islanders uh, who lost to Carolina in four straight. Uh, again, uh, people are lauding Lula Amorello and the Islanders for being able to recover from the loss of Tavares and make the playoffs and have a fairly successful season. I think it was based mostly on Barry Trotz getting them to buy into the, his defensive concept, getting a great performance out of Robin Leonard, who will probably win the Masterton. And, you know, they had talent there. But as we started to point out last week, Russ, uh, and and we can illustrate it more now, mm -hmm. They're in trouble because, and I, I made this point, when Lou Lamorello was in Toronto and then they had that last place finish, 
they changed the narrative very quickly at the end of the year from the negative to the positive by signing Morgan Riley and Nazem Kadri to extensions. Here's the future. We've locked these guys up. We're going to add more players. Marner's coming. Nealander's coming, blah, blah, blah. Like all that stuff. It was positive after the negative. Now here, you made the best of, of a bad situation. Tavares walks. You, you, you keep your guys, you know, Lee and Nelson, Leonard, all UFAs, Eberly uh, plays well in the playoffs. No announcement after they get eliminated, and there it doesn't sound like 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 Anders Lee. At least he's gonna. It, the least is, is he's gonna test the market. And if they lose Lee and Nelson on top of losing Tavares, Matthew Barzel should sue for non-support because there's not gonna be a lot to, around him. Yeah, I, I just I look at it this way, I, and I was on SiriusXM this morning, and and I talked about this, and I'll give you a similar answer when asked about Anders Lee. So. He says he's negotiating. That's great. Uh, you know, there was a time when, you know, Tavares was still negotiating with the Islanders too. And then they stopped negotiating and then he became a free agent and then he signed with another franchise. So who's to say now that in the next month, if Anders Lee doesn't get signed, that he doesn't go that same route and the Islanders lose another captain is he going to take the same wrath? Is Lee going to take the same wrath as Tavares? And or did Tavares take that wrath because he had that picture of him with the Leafs uh, yeah. blanket and and bedspread set? Did that sort of set off the fan base on that path? I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I'm just saying Lee is not really any closer to signing with the Islanders than Tavares was, and he's not here in a peak. Right. I, I will. I, I, I think I think this and Peter, I want to get your opinion on this. I think that Tavares took more heat because of the narrative that was set after he left that he didn't want to waive his no trade clause to be traded. He wanted to stay there. And by doing that, he enabled the Islanders to not get anything for him. At the, you know the, yeah. the thing is is that at the eleventh hour it was between the Leafs and the Islanders. It wasn't San Jose. It wasn't taking thirteen million. He was still at the eleventh hour considering going back to the Islanders. No, in spite of how screwed up that organization is, and then he ended up going to Toronto. But Peter, if you're if you're Judge Judy, tell me the difference. I'm bringing this case to you, and, and just pretend you're an old Jewish lady. You could do it. Um, <laughs> Tell me the difference between what's going on with Lee now and what what happened with Tavares. I, I think I think Tavares Tavares's approach um, was one that he had signed that extension deal that sort of me you know the one that was undervalued. Yeah, and he's coming out of it, and there was a little bit of hope that you know he was going to get paid and stay with the team, the fans that loved him. And I think he sort of did a little, he kind of played it a little bit like Sundin did for the Leafs fans. Um, he said enough things that sort of gave them hope while he really didn't mean it away from the ice. And I think he wanted to look like a good guy to the fans, but at okay. the end, his decision was going to build resentment to them. And their reaction when the Leafs came back basically said that's how they felt. They felt betrayed. Right. And whether he betrayed them or not, only he really knows. But in their in their mind, there was enough said for them to believe there was hope that he wanted to be an Islander. Okay, so using all of your expertise, in the last four years, Anders Lee getting 3.7, that's really below market value, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So what's Anders Lee going to ask for now? He's not going to give him a break. Especially, no, he's going to want market value, and and it's we're either going to see Lou Lamarillo work his magic. Well, especially or, especially since just interject, especially since they have cap room because they didn't sign Tavares, and they right, have yeah. cap room because Eberle's contract is, is expiring, and Brock Nelson's contract is is, is expiring, oh. and they got Josh Bailey for five million. So they have the oh, room. Uh, they have the room. You know, Lucas Sabiza, Seidenberg's finally off the books, you know, like all these things. There's tons of cap space. So if you're Anders Lee, you're 28 years old, and 
you your birth you turned 29 in july mm -hmm. you got to strike gold now right so he it, it starts with a seven and someone will pay him that oh yeah well i think that and we'll get into this because um vander kane's making seven million dollars a year right well and we'll get in we'll get into this when we're your benchmark with what, with what we were talking about before the show on on twitter um but the market benefits a guy like Anders Lee because the number one center in the market is Duchesne. The number two center, if if Lee hits the market, or if Lee doesn't hit the market, is Kevin Hayes. If now if, if Lee does hit the market, it's Lee. He can play center. He played yeah. wing, but he can play center. And in that narrow field, it's just so like the 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 defense in free agency. You've got. Eric Carlson, who if he goes to the market, will make $10, $11 million. Who are the next two? Jake Gardner and Tyler Myers. And we'll talk about that mm -hmm. in a second. But that's that's what Lee says. Okay, I can hit the market. I can get maybe, maybe I can get eight million bucks. You know, that's what Ryan Johansson's made. Yeah. Maybe I can get eight million. And if he gets if he gets offered that. Lou's going to basically tell him what he told Scott Niedermeyer when Niedermeyer got the the, the offer from Anaheim. I would take it. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a, a, an excerpt from Mark Herman's column in uh, Newsday. So he's like, you know, Lou Lamarillo says, you wouldn't and couldn't find a better captain, talking about Lee. And then so Herman backs that up and says, so it's a little surprising and somewhat concerning that Lee's and the team have never agreed on a contract. He's potential unrestricted free agent on a team clearly hungry for scoring and not flush with alternatives. And it goes on more than that, but it just you know, that gives you the idea. And then it ends with, or perhaps Lee's agent Neil Sheehy wants the forward to be paid like the 40 goal scorer he was while playing alongside Tavares last year. And that is going to be the balancing act. But the idea is they have to figure that one out before they even go to the other guys and try and sign them. Because if Nelson ends up costing you more than you thought, Lee's price just went up. So Lee's the one that's yeah. going to cost you the most. You got to get him locked up first. Right. Or not at all, right? Honestly, Russ, this the the and these players aren't as much of an impact to the Islanders as they as they were to Buffalo. But this is very reminiscent of what happened in 07 when you had both Drury and Briere who were UFAs, mm -hmm. and the the Sabers decided they weren't going to be able to afford Briere, and they let him walk. And they concentrated all their fire on Drury, and then Drury took the contract with the Rangers because, it, which is bizarre because it was both Drury and Gomez in the same free agent class. But well, close to his pizza place, Mike. Right there, you go. But the, but the thing is, is that the Sabers opted for one over the other, thinking that they had the choice, and the other person chose to go someplace else. So in the end, they ended up with nothing, and then they even got more screwed because Edmonton offer sheeted Thomas Vanek and they had to pay Vanek like seven, I think it was seven, five or seven, six before he had really established himself. So, I mean, the Islanders, I mean, they don't have to worry about offer sheets, obviously, because this is not a restricted situation. It's an unrestricted situation, but they better focus on the one guy who's important, which I would, I would think is Lee and get him locked up. And then you can work on the other guy. And if you lose him, fine. Well, let's talk about the other guy for a minute. So, Brock Nelson, they signed to a one-year deal at 4.2. Clearly under market value, but he did it because, hey, whatever, maybe you know he still wanted to play there, liked it there, and thought he could prove himself. Well, he did. He had 25-goal year. He had 53 points. He was a plus 20. He had three game-winning goals, and he averaged 17 minutes of ice time. He's yeah. a centerman. He's a big centerman. He's similar to Tyler Bozak. And he's about the same age when Tyler Bozak, I think, was looking for a deal. Right. He's going to get at least five and a half a year, and he's probably going to look for six, seven years. Right. And and factoring in all this, Peter, I mean, Leonard, coming off a year that he's got one of the best goals against and save percentages in the league and played pretty well in the playoffs, you got to get him locked up on a new deal. So, I mean, I think they – they probably can get that done if they if they're you know if they don't think they have a chance at Bobrovsky then going back going back to Leonard is probably very you know very acceptable to them, but the other the other one is 
Barzil, and it's similar to what's going on in Winnipeg, where you've got a guy one. I think I think he's his ELC is one year away, so they can negotiate a new, a new deal on July first. But you should yeah. be proactive when it comes to Barzil and get him locked up now. And that's against what Lou usually does. I mean, in Toronto, he didn't. He wasn't proactive on Nylander, and look what happened with him this summer. Well. He wasn't proactive on Nylander, but neither was Kyle Dubas. So you, I don't think you can pin that on Lou. And they Lou was leaving and stuff, so Lou probably knew too. You can't pin that on Lou. I don't think that's fair. Well, but to your well, point, to your to your point, Lou's going to have to recognize that the game has changed a little bit. And with the courting period and all the different things that are going on and how there's value for young people, the leverage he used to have that he used very well Controls contracts and stuff isn't there as much as it used to be. So right. either he's going to be a contract whisperer and he's going to find a way to talk to players and agents and 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 keep doing what he's done, or he's going to have to adapt a bit. This this is going to be the year that we find out. Yeah, and Barzil Barzil has another year on his ELC at eight hundred and sixty three thousand. But with bonus, if he hit bonuses, it'll be much more than that. But after that, he's a he's a non arbitration eligible RFA. Like everybody this year, Connor and Line A and Marner, et cetera, et cetera. So it almost behooves them to get Barzil signed before some of these other guys, like work on a contract extension on and get it done. And on July 1 at noon, announce it because if Aho and all these other and Matthew Kachuk, they set the market. Then you're going to be probably spending a lot more for Barzil than you'd probably want to. So I think Lou has to be proactive with this guy because he's, you know, he could be after July second after Lee and Nelson walk, he could be their best forward. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about this because we touched on this, uh, Peter. You said there were some whispers out of Vancouver regarding where. So yeah, Ian McIntyre put an article out, I guess, saying that, you know, Tyler Myers could be a good solution. Needless to say, Canucks Twitter, which is a very active group, lost their minds. Someone put up a, a, a tweet showing a picture of a, um, a bronzed anchor in Stanley Park and a picture of Tyler Myers beside. And so. I was gonna say, did, they didn't put Eric Gabranson part due, did they? Yeah, well, you know that's that's what the fear is, right? And if I could find it, it's got a great caption. But I mean, so this this is what it's come to in Vancouver, in that people are scared of what Jim Benning can do with some cap space because they haven't trusted his decisions already. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Myers makes a lot of sense. They have no faith in Chris Tana being healthy. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, oh, here's the solution. And McIntyre is trying to say he's a viable solution without really understanding that Tyler Myers is Tyler Myers is not a guy who carries the play like you think he did. He is not um post-entry level contract Tyler Myers. Mm-hmm. He is a guy who has uh a ton of challenges to his game and he's just not seeing the player right i think he's still a valuable he's a he's a he's a bottom four guy like he's a number four but he'll be paid to be more than that because there are going to be gms who believe they can get more out of tyler myers in the right situation russ he he's like i always when i see a defenseman who peaks as a rookie or as a second year player, the guy I always come up with as an, as a comparative is Glenn Wesley. If you remember, if you remember Glenn Wesley with Boston back, back when he was a rookie, you know, him and Ray Bork, he partnered with Bork. He had a great rookie year. He had an okay second year. And then I think it was an offer sheet or a free agent deal that he went to Hartford and they and Hartford spent big money in the day for him. And he was nothing more than a good compliment. He was a, he was a Matt Carl type of guy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know whether that's Myers. Myers, remember, he won the Calder in Buffalo. He's this big, rangy kid. He, he, he got drafted the same year as that big defensive crop, Bogosian, Pitterangelo, Shen, Doughty. But he had an, a knee injury in, in the WHL that year, so his stock fell a little bit, and he, I think he was drafted in the teens. And then he had this great 
first year, the great second year, and then the, the Sabres were proactive and signed him to a big contract, and he was never the same player. Now, if you bring him in and he's for a reasonable amount, I think it's an okay signing. But if you spend six, six and a half on Tyler Myers, you're just giving money away. I don't know about that. I think he's rehabbed his image. I mean, we have to look at what defenseman costs now. Yeah. And he's a big guy. He skates fairly well. He takes up a lot of room on the ice, and he can move the puck. You're not getting Tyler Myers because you're looking for points out of him anymore. Right. That's the sale. But he's still a yeah. useful defensemen and there are teams that are so bad off for defensemen that they'll take them in a heartbeat like you know you go look at the arizona coyotes they could probably talk themselves into the fact that if they get tyler myers they could make the playoffs this year and maybe they're right maybe that is what they need well, and, so, peter, peter, and peter the one thing with the with the canucks i mean i know tanev has got a year left in his contract if they go out and they do sign a big ticket free agent defenseman. I have a feeling they'll end up trading Tanev to clear the space. You know, it's yeah. he's making and Tanev's got one year left. They can maybe eat a little bit of the deal and and off you go. Right. And here's here's the tweet. If okay. you can read this. Well just read it. Yeah, read it because you're a little blurry. Okay. There you go. You can see there's the boat anchor. There's Myers. One serves as an object to hold you firmly at the bottom. The other is an anchor. <laughs> I don't think that's fair, actually. Yeah, I, and okay, and I know that you mentioned Gardner in connection because he doesn't walk a lot of minutes, does he not, Peter? Yeah, he. Th that's the problem. I think is that when you have to play him a lot, you put him in positions where he is not the ideal player for those yes, for that opposition. Under twenty minutes, you do. You got to play him under twenty minutes, and you got to watch your matchups. That's right. why. That's why he's a three-four. He's not right. a yeah. 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 Um. Now, you mentioned Gardner in connection with this. And I don't know if there are any connections in terms of Gardner and, and Vancouver, but Gardner, you know, Gardner is the 1B in this scenario in free agency. If teams strike out on Carlson, and I don't know what the, what the you know, there'll be, I mean, San Jose will be in it, the Rangers will be in it, and probably a couple other teams that have cap space will be in it, but Carlson's going to go where Carlson wants to go and where he gets paid the most money. Um, Gardner, I mean, he'll probably be in the range of $6 million. I don't think there's any way he's coming back to Toronto because there's no way they can afford to pay him. Even if they trade Nikita Zaitsev or other contracts, I know that the Leafs, at least in the media have said, oh, we love Gardner. We'd love him back. But then apparently they haven't really talked to his agent. So it's all, it's basically the same the same stuff that came out with Bozak and JBR last year where they loved him. They didn't want him to go, but they couldn't afford him. So they're letting him go. But I would be careful if I was a team spending money on Jake Gardner and thinking you're getting anything more than a puck rusher and a guy who could be an adequate second power play point quarterback. All right. But again, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, yeah. you're interested in Jake Gardner. You are. I don't know unless they can, unless they can get rid of the boat anchors unless they can get rid of Chris Russell. Well, I think he'll I think he'll cost a little less because of a little bit of doubt of with his injury, but they need that kind of guy. Like that's they need that. Well, I mean, could they it, have that guy on their roster? I well, they do, but but he blew out his ACL two years ago, and he's never right. been the same. And that's Sakara. Right. Um. You know, they. I guess they thought that Art Adam Larson was that, but he never was. Yeah. Um, now, one team, one team that Gardner has been connected with over the years has been Minnesota because he's from Minnesota. He played at Wisconsin, but he's from Minnesota. And if they if they do what we think they're going to do, Russ, meaning trade a defenseman, then maybe they go out in free agency and maybe Gardner is somebody they'd be interested in. But uh, actually, what was brought up on SiriusXM today was. They might have a great interest in Anders Lee, who's from the area. There you go. Right. I mean, that's and and they trade. You know, they they cleared space by trading Grandland. They cleared space by uh, uh, trade. They're they're talking about trading Zucker. Yeah. Um. So they've you know, Fenton has been able to move contracts that some people didn't think they were going to be able to move. So maybe maybe that that's the case. But again, Minnesota. I I don't know. I mean, that core group is still Koivu, Stahl, Parise, Suter, and that's an old core. 
Yeah, but Stahl's like on a one-year deal or one more year, and he's years. okay. That's fine. I mean, that's not going to kill him. Yeah, he's, he's the least of the problems. Yeah, he's the least, yeah, he's the least of the problems. The other contracts are longer, but if they did get somebody like Lee, that would really give him a leg up. And if they, you know, if they have to lose another player like Zucker, then they may be willing to do that. They may want to change things up a little bit. Right. All right. Let's talk about Game Seven tonight. Um, Colorado and the San Jose Sharks. Like I said, it's the last game of the second round. We have Boston, Carolina already set in the East. Um, St. Louis waiting for the winner of this game tonight. Um, Colorado is going with the same lineup. They're going 11 forwards and seven defensemen. Um, San Jose, the big question, Peter, is the availability of Pavelski. They say it's a game time decision. If it's if if they're pushing it out this much, I, I would think that th that he's probably not going to play, and they're just using it as a diversionary tactic. But even if I mean, maybe it's going to be like a a, um, a Willis Reed situation with the Knicks back in the '70s, where they just want the guy in the lineup and he can play fourth line minutes and play on the power play as an inspiration, like like Stamkos coming back a few years ago against Pittsburgh in Game Seven. Sorry, what? Say the question again. Like, Pavelski, I mean, do you think yeah. Pavelski? I mean, we don't know if Pavelski is going to play, but I mean, do you think no. how much of an impact do you think it'll have? You know, I think. Sorry, how, how much impact? I think emotionally it gives an impact. I don't know if it gives an impact on the ice if he's not a hundred percent. Right. Um, if. If particularly, and I don't recall what his injury was. Really, is it upper or lower body? Oh, it's, oh. A, it's he has staples in his head from the right, right, right. Sorry, I'm just I'm getting lost in all this. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, if he's not prepared to to go in and do what needs to be done to slow up Colorado, I don't think you play him. I think you hope you hope you believe in what you got there. You go for the win at home. You hope you get it, and you bring Pavelski in when he's healthy, which is going to be up against St. Louis when you're really going to need him. I, I'll tell you what. I put him in line rushes, and I make the other th team well, think he's playing, and I also to give them a round yeah. to the Sharks because they would get really pumped up. They got pumped up just watching him pump the towel the other game and on the sidelines. So I think if nothing else, put him in the line rushes just to sort of get the team to react. But I'll, I'll tell you this, if I'm Colorado, and they won't do this because NHL coaches don't do this, I would put the foot on the gas early and try and, you know, get a big lead early because then you could really change the whole game with the Sharks because the Sharks aren't exactly a great comeback team. Oh. And, and that's what I would try and do because if you just play this game okay. tight, the Sharks are going to beat you if you play that tight game and you're just playing for overtime. Like, they're going to beat oh, you there. Yeah. Down, down three goals in game seven in the third period was a pretty decent comeback, but that was the one for the ages. I mean, yeah. But uh, Matt Calvert is not playing for, for Colorado. So, like I said, they're going with 11 forwards and seven defensemen, which, I mean, you know, with the young, with the youth that they have on the blue line, maybe it's good to have an extra blue liner out there. And, you know, I mean, Makar has played pretty well, but I think when if they're leading in the third period, they might want more experienced hand out there. Uh, um, now, I, you know, and with, with San Jose, I mean, I think obviously Martin Jones is going to be a key. Um Honestly, Russ, the thing the thing I've been impressed with with San Jose has been not only Burns and, and Carlson, but Couture. Just, I mean, what a, he's a, he's a phenomenal playoff performer. He just and when they made the final a couple years ago, you know, he was the guy. It wasn't Marlowe, it wasn't Thornton, it wasn't Pavelski that led the team in scoring. It was Couture. Yeah, yeah. He's a great player. I mean, and he's yeah. the guy you have to worry about. Yeah, Russ, I think you're right. I think if he's half ready to go, you put him in line rushes, you get him out in the skate, and you 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 start doing some gamesmanship yeah. and stuff. And, and you and you listen to him the too. The board does that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and you listen to him too. But if there's a question, you, if there's a question about his health or whatever he says, you've got to play your game without him that you've done for the last two series. And you've got to do it, and and um, not worry about what happens tonight because he's going to be even more important if you move on. And I'll tell you what, and if, and, and I don't know how DeBoer is on his pregame speeches. I don't know if they've ever shown him on one or anything, but I would give the 
This is Joe Thornton's possibly last game Rudy kind of speech to get this team fired up. That's what I would do. Okay. Somebody – maybe somebody in the chat uh, has – Thanks for that support, Mike. All right, anyhow. <laughs> maybe somebody in the chat has the explanation of this. I don't know if she is from St. Louis or what the – uh, the connection is, but after Patrick Maroon scores the goal in double double overtime, the Blues play Gloria by Laura Branigan. And yeah, I don't know why that's their goal song. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I don't think it's their goal song. I think it's like this. It's like New York, New York by Sinatra. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But they play it all the time. They do. Right, it's their victory song. So I don't know what the connection is. If if Laura Branigan is from St. Louis, it's not exactly like you know. It's not exactly a victory song. And I I, I look for explanations. It's like the what is it? What's this, the the stick song? I think it's Renegade that they play. In, they play in Pittsburgh. Right. This is not from Pittsburgh. Why? What is that? What is the song? Like they just like the song. Um, you know, Laura, Laura Brannigan, you know, did pass away. I'm looking it up. She's from New York. So, yeah, so uh, I, 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 I like the song, Mike, but here's, here's the bigger thing <laughs> before the game, there was video footage of Jenna Fisher from the office and other shows rooting on the blues with a blues jersey. I just looked it up. She's from Indiana. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think I think John Hamm was in the crowd. He's a big blues fan for sure. Like he's the one we all know is the big blues fan. And the fact that I like the fact that John Hanna showed himself like not shaven and everything else, at least trying to look like a regular guy one time in his life. That's good because you know, guy looks like a male model just all the time. But Jenna Fisher, I don't know. I don't know why she's a blues fan. I that one is unresolved. Well, I will go out on a limb because, and I believe me, I heard it enough times this year. I, uh, I, I will go out on a limb and say that the Leafs' goal song next year will not have anything to do with Hall and Oates <laughs> because at, at a certain point that goal song annoy that Russ that was as annoying as the uh, the song for the for Team Canada at the World Junior. Yeah, it really was actually. So it looks like even though Jenna Fisher was born in Indiana. She grew up in St. Louis. So good for her. So okay. It's nice to have some celeb hockey fans. It's interesting that they're coming from St. Louis. Like we wouldn't expect yeah. that. Yes. Uh, the other thing, and just touching on this briefly, because I, I just I just saw it posted a little a little while ago. Uh, Pagula Sports and Entertainment informed the National Women's Hockey League that they're severing its relationship with the league and they'll no operate, no longer operate the Buffalo Buttes going forward. So they basically gave the franchise back to the league. Yeah. Um, I know that some Sabre fans basically would say, I wish the Pagulas would do that with the Sabres. But I, honestly, is this another step towards what the goal of those 200 players were in terms of getting the NWHL to fold? So the uh, so the, the NHL could step in and run a league properly. Again, what is the guarantee that that the NHL even wants to do this? There is no guarantee. They have never shown for one minute that they have an interest in running a women's league. All right. they've done is contributed to it. They let them play the outdoor game a little bit. They 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 definitely want to be a part of it, a very small part of it. But they've never once sort of said, "Yeah, if everything's right, we want to run a women's league." They, now maybe there will. You know, Russ, there's been a ton of discussion around this on, particularly on Twitter, and some really interesting points. And one of the points that I've seen is the basically comparing the women's NBA league to to the NHL running one, and what the cost to the NBA is of that women's league, in that it's it's a loss leader, and that's fine and i understand that the nba is a pretty fr pretty flush league with money and the right. nhl is no pauper they've got right. a lot of money and they can do things where this argument gets a little blurry for me i'm not going to say it's it's wrong is that if the belief is that if you you either believe in the subsidy or you say if it doesn't stand alone and people don't want to watch then it shouldn't be there that's totally fine but how much is the NHL subsidizing teams that had no one in their ranks? How long has that gone on for? So they're clearly able to see value long-term. 
They're clearly able to see that and prepare to subsidize. The subsidy that would be required to help keep a league afloat is a drop in the bucket compared to the money they've sunk into some teams. And I you think about what they did for, for, for Arizona, for Florida, um, for Anaheim point. But again, Peter, you are attacking this logically. This isn't logical because, again, we have to – I am going to guess that based on the fact that when everything was okay a year ago, not every owner wanted to be a part of any of the women's leagues. Right. A handful. I'm going to still guess – that there's a lot of owners that don't care about it and only care about their team, their fans, their market, their money. And they don't have to invest in it. Like, it's not up to them. But again, when have you seen the NHL really put out big money into something that you said, hey, you know what? This may or may not work, but this is great that they're doing it. Almost never. I can't even think of something that they – that you know, think about the Guardian project, Peter, and then, you know – yeah, but I, I will say this. The, the NHL has become a lot more savvy in terms of PR over the last few years. And when they get involved with You Can Play, which is an initiative you know, that was spurred on by Brian Burke after the death of his son, and I think it's it's been a good initiative to to to, to for the NHL to get involved in. I think – and I'm not you – know, I'm just saying women's hockey will – the reason the NHL will get involved is – Strictly is going to be strictly PR. It's not going to be to, not going to be to make it a money making enterprise because I don't think it ever will make money. But I think is in terms of generating interest in the game, keeping it alive, get, having an avenue for young girls to play. That is what the NHL will want to promote. Well, again, I go back to yeah. the NHL would certainly love to have scores of female fans, and actually, they do. So now, if they port over this other league, they may be just drawing in some new fans, but they may be splitting the allegiance for female fans that are already sold on the NHL to now go and support yeah, them. I, I, Russ, them. I, I think if we, if we look at this as the model of a league that just runs in tandem with some NHL seed money and annual revenue that it exists in its in its own channel, that's a real possibility and it should be feared. But that's why you have to start saying we it doesn't work this way. Why is throwing more money at doing it that way a good thing? No, you have to change the parameters on this. You have to have a paradigm shift in how the product is provided. And, and get a little more creative with it. So the idea being, bring some events in to some of the NHL events. You know what, you have all these other games going with the stadium series, bring a women's game in, do that frequently. Let's bring it in with the Heritage Classic, what's gonna happen in Regina, do that. So you gotta get a little more creative. You gotta piggyback in things and make it a value proposition so that you wanna draw fans in. And remember, all we heard about with the Sunbelt teams for the first 20 years was this is going to take time. And then we're going to get, it's going to, hockey's going to grow in these areas. Voila, we get an Austin Matthews. The same, it, it, it it's not, it's going to work for both genders, yeah. but you've got to get a little more creative. So you don't get into a competition based on women wanting to support a women's league only and not supporting the NHL. I, I that's a legit concern, but I think there are ways around it. You've and, got to get creative. And, logical question the one logical question is where's next i forget now where's next year's heritage classic regina okay so what are the odds of them not selling out that game so what are the odds that if they include a women's game that that is going to either enhance their revenue put more fannies in the seats or change sponsorship or online oh, what what cost though it, what what's the cost right but i think you can add it in there without it being a massive cost now it'd probably be it'd be better to actually do it at the stadium series one mm -hmm. in all frank the heritage classic there isn't there isn't a team in regina there isn't a team there was a team in calgary but that that league's gone so if you're going to just take the nwhl um or the w whatever it is national women's yeah. Hockey, yeah um 
and then find some avenues to bring them in. It doesn't have to be all in, but start bringing a little more inclusivity to them into the NHL stuff and see what you learn from it. Hey, I, it's just a starting point. I'd be all for it, but unless there's a way to make money on it, I don't think they're doing it. Yeah, and just, just to point out, like I know that in Buffalo, they had an Amherst game in Buffalo once or twice a year in Toronto. They have the Marlies playing at Scotiabank Arena in the afternoon before a Leafs game. And, you know, obviously the tickets are different. You know, they sell for the one and they, then they, then they, uh, they empty the building and they come in. I mean, that's something where you could piggy bank, uh, piggyback a, a woman's hockey game an NWHL or whatever, uh, entity comes up. That is a way to generate interest, maybe to have them play in the same building. Now, you know, I know, I know there's cost to that, but if you want to make it an enterprise that is more successful, you may have to do things like that. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh, right, so Chris Gebhardt in our chat room may have the answer to the Gloria thing. Okay. Four to five players were in a bar in Philly and uh, bars, St. Louis, sorry, watching the Eagles and the bar DJ played. Gloria every time the Eagles scored. So they tried it the next game and it won and it's, and it stuck. So then they kept playing it. Okay. Uh, last note here. Um, the magnet of the magnet of chaos known as the Ottawa senators, uh, as reported by John Shannon of Sportsnet. senators, uh, chief operating officer, Nick Rostkowski is leaving his post. That's on top of other guys like Tom Anselmi who used to be with the Leafs. He, he was uh, dismissed by Eugene Melnick. That organization continues to be the Eastern tire fire in the NHL. I don't even know what to say. Yes. Okay. Uh, for Peter Tessier, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.